I am not doing everything that is in the last uh, section of your uh, syllabus simply because it's too much. There is a lot more in the syllabus than I have time to give. Um, and so I, I want to begin by pointing out that this whole seminar revolves around the word love. That really is the beginning and end of it, love. Because we have seen that there is a kind of love that is the wrong kind. I have labeled it toxic love. It's, it's, we call it love, but all it does is toxify us and toxify everybody that we try to use it on. And, and this toxic love, which is elsewhere called codependency, where I am trying to get from another human being the love that can only come from God. And I am thus dependent upon them. I need to be needed. I am forever looking for you to approve me and give me my significance. Now, on the other hand, you've got the God kind of love, which is the mark of Christianity. Um, a new commandment I give to you, said Jesus, that you love one another even as I have loved you. Or again, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have loved one for another. And so we've got this sort of battle of loves. That, that either we are, quote, loving, a phony love, it's toxic love, it's not really love at all, but on the other hand, you've got love as being the necessary mark of the Christian. And the tragedy is that there are many Christians that have mistaken codependent, toxic love for God kind of love. And they're deeply involved in the church in a whole mass of programs and involvements that they should never be involved in. They're burning themselves out and they're doing it because they feel they ought to, they should, they must. If I don't do it, nobody else will. And they're doing it out of a sense of need within them to be loved and appreciated. There's toxic love. Uh, and we thought it was missionary work, and we thought that it was service for God, and it wasn't at all. And we wonder why we get so depressed, because we're so involved, and, uh, and we burn out, and we feel that no one appreciates us, and we sit home and cry, because we're dying inside while we help everybody else. You've heard all of that. And you say, that's toxic love. It, God's love isn't like that. God's love feeds you as you give it away. God's love is an infinite flow of life within you. God's love is a choice. There's no ought, must, should about it. And so I want to look at the difference. Because I think if we're going to live a healthy life, if I'm going to be healthy in my spirit and a mental health and a, an emotional health, I must know what this God kind of love in me is. You see, Paul writing to the Christians in Thessalonica, he said, you are taught by God to love one another. And that's actually the only time that word is used in the Greek, taught by God. In the Greek, it is one word, God taught. Um, it's got an idea that you become an apprentice of God. But it's also got the idea that he puts his spirit, his love within you, and then you are taught or apprenticed to that love within you. It's the mark of the believer. If you are born again, he is saying, this love, this supernatural love, the God kind of love, is shed abroad inside your heart. You are taught by God to love one another. When Paul addressed believers, he identified them, he says, by your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I know I've stumbled upon a bunch of believers. I know I have. They have faith in God and love one for another. That's what Jesus said. You'll know it. Or John is even stronger. He said, we know that we have passed out of death into life. How do you know it, John? Because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. 
then we are speaking here of something very foundational and very important. Again, he said, let us love one another for love is of God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God for God is love. I think you appreciate this is not a side issue. This isn't the cherry on the cake. This is it. This is being a Christian. Or as I said this morning, being a Christian is not so much answering the question, where will you spend eternity? This is being a Christian. Knowing and learning as I know how to love you with the love of God. And so the Holy Spirit, we're taught of God, the Holy Spirit gives to us this love of God, which in itself, the love of God is the key to my wholeness as a believer. And so I had this toxic love, which is not love, it's a need, I need, and I'm sucking it out of people if I can. And it's energized by the original lie of the Garden of Eden. And then the believer has the God love, which is energized by the Holy Spirit. And we must learn how to let that love, to use the biblical terminology, increase and abound and get through our whole being and heal us and in healing us, become manifest to others. How, how does this love happen? Says John again, we love because he first loved us. We cannot know this love one to another until we have seen what I have been saying in every hour that we are unconditionally loved of God. When I know that I am loved of God, it kills all my trying to gain love from God. Does that make sense after these hours? Does it, if I know I'm unconditionally loved of God, then I throw overboard, it's part of my repentance. I repent of all my trying to earn God's love. I am loved because of who He is. So I repent of trying to earn it. And when I know that I am loved without earning it, that changes my relationship to you. Because I'm no longer trying to perform and earn your love. I have my love from God. And in that sense, though we're going to get back to this, I don't need it from you primarily. I am getting it from God. Therefore, I don't come to you with a vacuum inside of me that is going to try and suck it out of you. I come with the love of God to give it to you. Do you understand what I'm saying? We love. This love, this, this God kind of love begins in us when I know I'm loved. When I know that I am valued. Because you see, if I don't know that I'm valued, if I don't know that I have an infinite worth that God gives me, I'm going to come to you asking you to tell me how much I'm worth. You've got that? This is sort of a recap here. It's putting a lot together that we've been over. That... If I don't know who I am, if I don't know what I'm worth, I'm going to perform for you. I'm going to be the kind of person that I think you want me to be. And I'm hoping that you will then grade me. You'll rate me. And you'll tell me in many different ways, a smile, a praise, a pat on the back, be my friend, whatever. You'll tell me my performance is A-OK. And you will write on my price tag that I have a worth. I have found my significance in you. My performance plus your grading of it equals who I think myself to be. And here I come now to my God and I discover that he has valued me. What, what is value? Value is what a person's willing to pay. I mean, how much are these flowers worth? Well, depends what you're willing to pay for them. 
And, and once you paid for them, whatever you paid for them, that's what they're worth. You, you, you follow me? You go to Sotheby's in London and, I mean, you, you decide what that thing's worth by how much you pay for it. Right? Then God decided that you were worth the blood of his son. Now, can, can you, you have been valued. You have been valued. You've been valued by the creator who made you. He's the only one who is qualified to value you. And he has put a value on you to which there is no limit. As Acts 20 says, that you have been purchased with the blood of God. So when I know that, when I know I'm loved unconditionally and I've been valued with the blood of God, I'm not coming to you looking for my identity. I come to you with my identity. It's intact. I know who I am. I am a loved of God. I am a purchased by God. I'm his child. Out of that fullness I come to you. Are you you're with me? So you see, I come again. I can only begin to love you when I've got my performance thing out of the way. And the only thing that can get that out of the way is to get my true value and true love from God himself. So I've got new relationships. Now, okay, new relationships. This can be revolutionary. And I say this very carefully, that the other persons in your relationships may not like what you've learned this weekend. And we've got to be ready for that. Because you have been part of some sick game. Yeah, okay, you've understood that. See, it takes two. When Adam dumped his shame on Eve, if she hadn't have taken it, can't play the game. She took it, right? There's a game going on here. I perform, you rate me. There's a performance game going on here. In that sense, we deserve the people we drew into our lives, you see. Now suddenly, somebody in the game sees something. They see their love. They see their deepest satisfaction. They drop out of the game. And the other players are frustrated. Because this isn't monopoly. (laughs) This is identity. This is significance. This is who I am. See, you're an alcoholic. And you have seen something in these meetings that is going to totally transform you. You have seen that your whole abyss within is filled with the love of God. You don't need to try and anesthetize the pain with liquor. And you go home and you begin to talk in terms of satisfaction from God, fullness from God. You're becoming a whole person. And everybody in the family who's been playing this game of needing to be needed has lost the object of their game. Do you follow me? I, I, I must warn you of that. It's only fair to warn you that when, when you come alive, some of the corpses around you get upset. <laughs> See? And here, in many cases, we, we define this stuff. I mean, we've got degrees here, and I think you've learned already that we're not all doing the same way, the same thing, but that th- this kind of love, you see, if if, if I'm looking to you at any level, if I'm looking to you for my significance and love, it will never be enough. And therefore I'm forever clinging. It's got that cling. There's a compulsion to toxic love. It's a drive. It's an obsession to it. And I want the same in return. If I love, quote, love you obsessively, I want to be 
the object of your obsessive love. I, I want you to be jealous about me. I want you to cling to me and get upset when I'm not around. I, I want that. It's the game. Game. Now I've found the love of God in Christ. And I'm not again going to look to a human being for that unconditional love. Why don't I look to them? Because I know you can't give it. It's very simple. You see, the fact is, you may have discovered this by now, that human beings will disappoint you. And that's not because they're, they're bad people. I mean, sometimes they, they are, but I mean, essentially, if you go to look for unconditional, infinite love in a human being, they are going to disappoint you. For a while, you might even fantasize that they're doing it. But after a while, you find out they're not. It, it can't be done. So don't blame them. You're asking what they can never give. And of course, they've disappointed you. So when I take the pressure off and say, I am not looking to you anymore to supply the deepest needs of my spirit. I'm not looking to you to fill the abyss within me. That really is a return to sanity because it was insanity looking to a human being. My expectation now, and underline the word expectation, the expectation's got, it's eager, I expect. And up until this time we've been going to human beings and I expect, I, I expect it from you. Well, I don't anymore. I, 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 my soul waits in silence for God only, said the psalmist, from him. My hope is from him alone. We take seriously now things like the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I, you no longer go to your husband and, and think your husband can be the rock of your life and the light and the life of your life. You, you recognize it's the Lord who is my rock. The Lord is my shield. You take those things very seriously now. And He, God, never disappoints you. You can expect of Him. What you can never expect of a human being and he never disappoints you. But, God made us social creatures. He said it is not good that man should be alone. And ideally, you enjoy and experience God's love through another human being. Now, are you following me here? It comes from God, we've discovered that. But under normal circumstances, I experience that love which I know comes from God. But I experience it through another human being. Okay, you're with me so far? So I know it comes from God and I know this human being can never ultimately satisfy me. I'm getting it direct from God and I'm experiencing it through another human being. Did you hear that? You're receiving it direct from God. He supplies the deepest need, but you experience it through another human being. But now, because you have seen that it comes from God alone, if that human being acts the reverse of love, you're disappointed. You're sad. You may even weep, but you're not destroyed because you know now the God that it all came from in the first place will make up for that. I hate to say it again, but do you see what I'm talking about? This is a very important part of what we're talking about. But let me put it this way. Who supplies your daily food? God does. 
Or you don't know what you mean when you say, give us this day our daily bread. Why drag God into it if he's not the one who supplies it? Right? It's not only missionaries who live by faith. We all live by faith. With some it's more obvious. <laughs> but, but we all live by faith. We recognize our food comes from God. Now normally, the way the food comes from God is by you going to work and getting wages. And your employer signs the check. But you know as a believer that beyond the employer is the God who supplies all your need. And if you lose your job and bad times come, you are not destroyed. Because you now have to go to the original source that it all came from in the beginning anyway. Only this time the middleman's out of the way. Right? And so you have the many stories in the scripture that when there is no job and paycheck, it has been known that ravens fly by every day and drop meat off. Hey, there's more than one story here that could be equivalent to that. Okay, that's, you see how that, now, same with a re human relationship. Normally, it's another human being that I experience God's love. But if that human being isn't there, I... God puts it in my heart. And so I receive the love that satisfies my deepest being directly from God through Jesus Christ. I experience God's love through another human being. If the human being totally lets me down, I am not destroyed. I'm disappointed. I'm human. I'm sad. I can weep. But I, I just receive it all from God. Do, do you really see that? Sorry if I keep saying that, but it's a very important point that I... I, I'm no longer broken to pieces by humans. I'm no longer shattered because I, I have learned to receive love from God. It, it also comes into the job world. Now that I've understood this, I don't get my significance from my job as we did in the past. Such a person as we have been talking about this weekend, their significance, their identity comes from doing the perfect job. If you have a secretary that is one of these people, she can type a perfect letter for 25 weeks in a row, never a mistake. And in the 26th week on Monday, she misspells a word. She falls apart. She cries. She's made a mistake. She, she's, she's worthless. She's no good. She's liable to resign. Do you know what I'm talking about? If you find your identity in what you do, it's got to be perfect, perfect all the time. That's my identity. And if it's imperfect, I, me, have been shattered. But when I see that my identity is in God, I don't come to my job to find my identity. I have that already. I come to my job with my identity to bring my dignity and my honor that comes from God to the job. Do you see the difference? I don't come to my job to get honor. I bring my honor to the job. So when they made me the CEO, that doesn't mean I suddenly get honor. I had honor when I was the clerk in the office. I bring to every job the honor. My honor comes from God. It doesn't come from my job. So now I want to do the very best job I can because now I'm free. I'm not seeking my identity in the job. Therefore, I'm free to use the job as a means of worshiping God. For as the scripture said, I do my work unto Christ the Lord. He's my ultimate employer. So I do my very best. And if I fail, well, I'm very sorry. 
And, and I'll, I, maybe I'll have to go to somebody and tell them, I'm sorry I failed you. But I'm not destroyed. Because that's not my identity. That's not who I am. That's what I do. And I know who I am who does that. Does that. Yeah, I, I know who I am. You see? And if you begin to think this through, this can change every possible relationship. You see, you, you get a codependent on the job and they will work. I mean, they will work. Because from their emptiness, they're trying to find some identity. In fact, we've often said in our office that we should put ads in the paper, you know, for, you know, <laughs> yeah, must be codependent is, you know, <laughs> going to get a job of work done here. Um, the fact is, when I return now to my work, it isn't that I'm sloppy, but I'm no longer seeking my identity there. No longer. I bring to it who I am, rather than get who I am out of it. And only when you begin to walk in that do you realize the liberty and the freedom that it brings you. That now you begin to understand these weird people that are actually filled with joy in their job and see it as an act of worship. And you're no longer shattered if they take the name off your door, you know? You know that, you know? People, I, okay, maybe it doesn't happen here, but I, 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 you get around New York City and the rest. If they take your nameplate off the door, or, you know, you no longer has it on there, you feel shattered. My identity was the name on the door, you know? My office in that certain place in the building, that was my... You know, no, it isn't. Basically, you put me in the basement, doesn't mean difference. Because I am who I am, and I bring my honor to the job, you see. And of course, then it, it works with how I deal with people. See, if I need to be needed, remember those people? I need you to have a need so I can fix you. See, I, I'm, I'm hovering over you the whole time. I, I've, I've got to find something wrong so I can come in and be your Messiah, the Savior. You see. If you're an alcoholic, that's my gold rush. I mean, you're, you're fantastic. Now I can hover over you and make you smile and make you happy and I can get my buzz out of your buzz and we're all buzzing together. It's a, <laughs> right? Sad, 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 sick. We call it love. You see, That's why we get involved in all the committees that we should never be on. That's why some people go to the mission field when they should have stayed home. There's many people go into the ministry trying to help, 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 help and get their identity in fixing other people's problems. And they call it love. Now you see, it's, I know I can't fix anybody. You wouldn't know what a relief that is to a minister. Because you see, any, anything that involves helping people, that draws these people like bees to a honeypot. We, we want to help people, and so it's my responsibility. You, you wouldn't know the pressure on pastors in certain denominations. They've got to stand up here on Sunday and get people saved. Do anything, get them saved. What a pressure. Get migraine headaches over it. We've got to help you. Now, if you're not living for God, that's our responsibility. We've got to make you live. I can't do it. It's a marvelous day. And I gave all that up. And understood my identity is not in my report sheet at the end of the week that I send to denominational headquarters to say we had so many saved and so many... It isn't. Pastors, you know what I'm talking about there. It isn't. I'm free. I've got my identity. I'm loved of God. And I know the only one who can fix your life is the Father through the Lord Jesus, and now by His Holy Spirit working in you. All I can do is announce to you the good news. I can't fix you. What a relief. Now, of course, I want to see you saved and fixed. I really do. And if you walk out and say no to that, I will be very unhappy for you. 
but it doesn't affect me. I don't fall apart and say, therefore I'm no longer of any worth to God. Look, no one listens to what I'm saying. You can apply this at every level. You, you prayer group leaders, anyone who works with other people. Look, look at this. Jesus, let's start with him. Jesus came to Jerusalem, the great and ancient city of the people of God. And there he proclaimed his message. And the people of Jerusalem, almost to the last men, rejected both him and his message. To the point where Jesus stood outside of Jerusalem and wept over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you as a hen gathers her children, chicks, but you would not. Broken. They have rejected him. They haven't listened to him. But if you realize Jesus didn't have any shame about that, Jesus didn't feel that he had failed. Jesus did not resign his messiahship to the Father and say, they didn't listen, I failed, I'm worthless, I'm no good, I resign. He wept because he knew what their rejection would do to them. But he did not in any way feel shamed that they had not been fixed. And only some of you know what I'm talking about here. The people that are in your life and you feel it's your responsibility to get their lives together, you feel it's your responsibility to get them filled with the Spirit or whatever, it isn't. It isn't. It's your responsibility to proclaim, yes. Your responsibility to pray and put them in the hands of the only one who can change their lives. But you, you don't, you're not destroyed if they don't. That was probably the most freeing thing that ever happened to me. When I realized that I was not responsible to build the church. In fact, I went through a whole resignation of the ministry over that. I burned out, walked out of the ministry. I have been trying to build the church. I was responsible, you see, to bring God's church to every city I found myself in. And I tried. I tried to build the biggest church in town, tried to have the biggest congregation in town. I was responsible, you see, to make people right. Somehow it wasn't enough to preach the gospel. I had to get into their lives and make it right. And of course they wouldn't be made right. Well, we had, we had crowds, but nothing really happened underneath the surface. And when I was young enough to get another career, I quit. And I said, I have tried for 17 years and I don't know what it's about and I quit. And my whole identity and life just collapsed around me. I fell apart. And while I was reading the Gospel of Matthew down on the sands of the Caribbean, I came on the words, Jesus said, I will build my church. And it leaked out at me that for 17 years I had been trying to build his church. And within my heart I heard his voice so clearly, now you get out of the way and let me do it. And after 17 years of thinking that you were my responsibility, that I had to make you right, I said, take him. <laughs> <laughs> I walked away from the Caribbean back into my pulpit and I was a free man. I was no longer responsible to build a church. I was no longer responsible to get the biggest crowd in town. I was no longer responsible to get people saved and filled with the Spirit. It was my responsibility to be the catalyst by which he built his church and he changed people's lives. And I've been resting ever since. The last 20 years of my life, I have been more active and more rested 
because I'm not trying to do anything. I'm being the channel for him to do it, you know. Do you see the difference there? For 17 years, I had toxic love. I was interfering with people's lives, trying to make them right, trying to make them happy, trying to find my identity in the biggest congregation. And then I discovered God's love, which is, which is not toxic. It's not interfering. It's, he loves me. I have my identity. I come to you full and I share what I know and I share what I see. And I know that he who loves you will do the rest. You take that to your prayer group. You take that to whatever area of involvement you are in. And you will discover life and you'll discover rest. This love. What, let me put it like this. When this love is in a believer, this real love, what's it look like? It's truly free. It's truly free. There is no compulsion. There's no obsession about it. See, the other kind of love, there's always I should. I guess I must. Why do you keep on saying yes to everybody and everything? Because you feel you ought to, should. You're, it's a compulsion. Why is it you go down there and interfere with your daughter-in-law every day and trying to fix their home? Well, I, I guess I ought to. I, I should, you know. So many missionaries we've met. They say, well, I'm here because nobody else would come. As if it's their responsibility to go and fill the spot, you see. That's toxic. All that is toxic love. This kind of love I'm talking about is completely free. I didn't come to Oklahoma City because I felt I ought to. I'm here because I wanted to. I'm here by choice. I'm free. See? I, and you come and say, would you preach in my church on Sunday? I'll see. See, I remember the time when I had to say yes, even though I was preaching in another church on Sunday. I still had to say yes to you. <laughs> but now... Even if I'm free on Sunday, I don't know if I'll come to your church. I mean this. I'm not driven by the need to say yes. I love you. And love is not saying yes, yes, yes to get your smile. Love is saying I choose voluntarily to come and do something that I do not have to do, need to do. I do it because I choose to. And if in doing it, it is going to tear me apart, that's my choice. Do you follow what I'm getting at here? See, this is Jesus. He said, no man takes my life from me. I lay my life down. I, Jesus died for us by choice. To the, when it came to the very end, Father gave him a choice in the Garden of Gethsemane. He wasn't volunteered. Jesus didn't stand in Gethsemane and say, well, I guess I messed with it. You know, if, if I don't, who will? I mean, it's, I, I better do this, I guess. <laughs> you, you follow me? Nor, nor did the Father volunteer him and say, you've got to do this, because God never does that. Jesus had to make a choice, and it was the greatest, most heart-rending, devastating choice of his life when he said, finally, not my will, but yours be done. But it was his choice. And in making that choice, do you remember what he said? If I ask the Father now, right now, within hours of the cross, if I ask the Father, the angels to come and rescue me, he would send them. Have you ever heard that? He could have gotten out of this at the last minute. Right to the very nailing of his hands to the cross, he did not have to be there except by his own choice. 
And if there is any area of your life that you're driven to do it compulsively, you're afraid, what, what, what would they say if I didn't? You know, do you remember that? You came home after Sunday morning. They asked me to be a Sunday school teacher. Well, do you want to be one? No. Did you say you would? Yes. <laughs> Why did you say yes? Well, what would they say if I didn't? And here you are, you're stuck with a Sunday school class that you've got no business in, you don't want to be in. Your actual choice was not to be in, but because you couldn't bear the idea of being rejected, you were driven compulsively to say yes when you wish you'd said no. And so your Sunday school class is suffering because the teacher they should have has been, I don't know where he is, but I mean, you've got his job. <laughs> you say, but if I didn't do it, who would? I don't know. Maybe the whole church would wake up. Trouble is, you've been doing everything, haven't you? If you'd only do what you chose to do because you genuinely love, maybe the rest of the church would have to take their place. This God kind of love can appear very callous in the eyes of toxic love. This is where they join battle. Toxic love looks at God love and says you're callous. Because you see, the God kind of love will never do for somebody else what they, as a responsible human, should do for themselves. Did you get that? God kind of love will never do for another human being what they as a responsible human being should do for themselves. Toxic love will always do for others what they should be doing for themselves. Always. And so that's what I say. When you stop playing the game, uh, people get upset. Because here is this responsible human being that's been acting like a child and refusing to face up to his destructive lifestyle. And he's been getting away with murder. And you've been letting it happen. I mean, there's that teenage boy and he's hardly moved from the couch in six months. He's got a degree and he could and should be working, but you are financing his drug habit. And you call it love, don't you? It's not love, it's poisoning him. You are helping him to destroy himself. And you're destroying your whole family at the same time. It's not love. Got nothing to do with love, it's destruction. But you see, when you go home and stop playing the game and tell him that he's got so many hours to get off his butt, find a job and get out of the house if he keeps on drugs. Oh, toxic love says how callous. No, for the first time you're loving him. You're making him face up to the responsibility he has of destroying his own life and those around him. You get what I mean? Do you see this game that's being played? And suddenly you stop playing and you start loving instead. And people say, you're very callous. No, you're not. You see, if you take responsibility for another person's choices, then you are actually devaluing them as a human being. Because as a person made in the image of God, I'm responsible for my choices and you're responsible for yours. And if I come barging in and take responsibility for yours, then I've devalued you as a human being. So, so, so this kind of love forces the self-destructing person to face his own disintegrating lifestyle. And that hurts love. Believe me, that hurts. 
toxic love, like to smooth it all over. Everything's nice. Everything. We're smiling, aren't we? And I lied for you and we covered for you. We got through that one together, didn't we? And everybody's happy. And you come on and love. Love broke the heart of God when he loved you. Love hurt. It breaks my heart to say to somebody, if that's the way you're going to go, it's the way you've got to go. And all I can do is pray and walk with you through it. But I can't walk for you. And I can't make choices for you. And I can't do anything for you. You've got to do it. That hurts me. Breaks my heart. But that's, that's love. Look at this one. And this isn't so sober, but somber, right? <laughs> look, look, here's Peter. Dear Peter, I mean, open mouth, foot in, and everybody else's foot in. I mean, Peter, you know Peter. The charismatic leader of the band of disciples. And one of the best friends that Jesus had. And Jesus receives a word of wisdom sitting at the table on the night of the Last Supper. And the word of wisdom comes to Jesus that this man is going to deny him before dawn. Now, what is Jesus going to do with that piece of information? Okay, here's your best friend. And you know down there in Jerusalem tonight, he is going to deny you, is going to cause his life to fall apart. He's going to be destroyed. And God the Father has just shown you what's going to happen. If you are codependent, toxic love, I'll tell you how you'd handle that. Um, Peter... Why didn't you stay home tonight? It could be dangerous down in Jerusalem tonight. Why, why don't you just stay home? It, it would be better, Peter. No. He doesn't do that, does he? Instead, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. Well, didn't you stop him? No. I prayed for you. And when you're turned around, you'll be able to strengthen your brothers. Do you hear what he's doing? He's saying, Peter, tonight's the night. You've got to face your own disintegrating lifestyle. Big mouth, airy thoughts. You've got to face who you really are, Peter, because right now you can't help anybody. You're just full of hot air. And it's going to be tough, Peter. You're going to be down there in Jerusalem and you're going to be destroy and, and I can't stop it I've chosen I love you Peter so I won't stop it I'm not keeping you home tonight I'll pray for you you've got the best friend you've ever had I will never leave you nor forsake you but I can't stop you you've got to face your own life and I give you hope Peter you're going to come out of this and when you do you'll be strong and you'll be able to help your brothers but you see what he did he didn't abandon Peter, but he did leave Peter to face the responsibility of his own choices. It is, it's toxic arrogance that forces ourselves into people's lives with answers when they weren't even asking. We just have to be there as they face the awful emptiness of their lives. This God kind of love can receive as well as give. You see, toxic love can't. Toxic love can only give, or at least appear to give, because the reason it gives is to get back. 
But the God kind of love is full. It gives out of its fullness. And so if you want to give, it can receive. You, you, you'll always, you can pick toxic love out in the church over and over again. When, when you want to compliment somebody and give them genuine praise, their first response, I'm not worthy. Oh, it, it wasn't me, it was the law. Would you come up here and, and we want to say, no, 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 I, I belong at the back. What, what's the matter with you? All this inferiority and worthlessness. God loves you, man. You're the apple of his eye. We were cringing, groveling at the back there. Well, I'm a humble soul. No, you're not. You're proud of your humility. That's what you are. That's... God's love can give and receive. Jesus told that neatest of stories. Remember? He said, you're, you're in a feast. And of course, in those days, in religious feasts, it was the Pharisees who would fight like tigers to get a spot on the platform. Because that was their identity. You see, We're up here with the important people. And Jesus said, when you go to a feast, he said, where you sit? Because if my identity is in God, it doesn't matter where I sit, does it? I mean, whether I'm up here or down there, it doesn't make a difference. I know who I am. I, I don't need my name on the platform to be in somebody, you see. I don't need to sit at the top table beside the VIPs to be somebody. I, I am somebody if I'm in bed. It doesn't make any difference. I, my somebodiness comes from God, right? See, so I sit where you will. And so far... Both toxic people and God kind of people, they all agree. That's fine. Sit where we want. But then, said Jesus, when the leader of the feast sees you, I says, oh, what are you doing back there? Come up higher, friend. He says, you go up higher. Sit down. That is, sit down there, sit up there. Be honored, be not honored. Makes no difference. The toxic love person, if they were picked out, would say, oh, no, no, not me, not me. The toxic love person can never receive. They don't feel worthy enough. They're operating out of their shame. Do you follow what I'm getting at? When I know I'm loved, I can as easily sit down there and receive from you as you can sit down there and receive from me. I can share with you my gift or I can sit down there and receive your gift. Out of my fullness I give, not to get identity, but out of my identity. And similarly, you can give to me and I receive it. Well, there it is. We could go on. You, I, I'm sharing with you a new lifestyle. And that can be very different. Very different. When I came over here from England, they introduced me to what I considered to be near suicide. I had to drive my car on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> and believe me, I drove on the wrong side of the road with all my feelings saying, you've got to get back over there. I drove by faith. On those highways, I continually expected to see the headlights of a car coming over the hill straight at me. Truly. And what I have shared with you this weekend is like switching sides of the road. And you will walk out of here and feel this is wrong. This is wrong. Unconditional love is wrong. I've got to do something. I've got to earn something. I've got to perform. And then as you walk by faith 
in the word of God and apply it by faith against your feelings, you will begin to walk with feelings by and by. I know, in fact, now when I go to England, I feel messed up. It's Right? And so, walk by faith and your feelings will fall in after you by and by. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. Okay? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for these six hours that we've spent together. Thank you for the joy of your word and thank you for the way that you have ministered already deep in our heart. And now as we bless this people, some to go and some to stay, make your word plain in their heart. Let your light shine within. Thank you that your love is shed abroad within us. Now let it increase and abound and take over our lives. Heal us and those who shall come for the laying on of hands. We thank you, Lord Jesus, ever the same as you laid hands on the sick in Capernaum and healed them all. So you move in this congregation, limitlessly present to every one of us, ministering your healing love. And we receive it from you. Thanking you that the darkness is dismissed and the light has overpowered it. In Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. Amen.